Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews With your hosts Aaron Martell And Lou Fogaro there i'm aaron martell and i'm lou figaro and welcome to ridiculous rock record reviews a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice on this episode we're going to review the who's 1969 double album tommy lou what's your history with the who and their young lad tommy well my first exposure to the who was because of elton john and uh my elton john obsession that uh, i was going through in 1975 and actually earlier than that. But um, in 75, I got a 45 called Pinball Wizard from a movie soundtrack album called Tommy the Movie. And um, I had the 45 and I, I also got that soundtrack, the Tommy soundtrack, because of Elton John. He was on it. And, uh, you know, it was a big picture of him. And he had like thigh high boots on that were about six feet tall platform <laughs> things. <laughs> And uh, it was just fucking amazing. And he was like playing this pinball machine. And so and it was like the, the soundtrack. Actually, you could follow the movie, you know, sort of like listening to, a you know, an audio play. I liked some of it. Acid Queen was really cool uh, with Tina Turner. I side to the blind had the guy who played I Shot the Sheriff, Eric Clapton. And Cousin Kevin was funny, sort of reminded me of a buddy's older brother. Um, Uncle Ernie was creepy and it played out like a story that I, so, you know, so I sort of followed along and, um, it was a lot of it was over my head for a seven year old and the movie was rated R. So I wasn't allowed to see it. So fast forward to the late seventies, early eighties. I forget. We got a cool channel on cable TV, which was new. It was HBO. And we also had an early VHS player. It was about the size of a suitcase with the top loader, you know, and you put the tape down. And, yes. Well, I recorded the Kids Are All Right movie from the HBO channel. I, I figured out how to put it in line with H, you know, with the cable box. And I, I proceeded to wear out that tape. And that's where I started with The Who as a band. I saw Sparks in that movie and it got me to buy Tommy The Who. And that's where I heard it first. All right. So this is weird for me because I really got mixed up figuring out my history with Tommy to get ready for this podcast. I discovered The Who because my dad had quadrophenia and he would play it occasionally and I took to it immediately. But I thought he also had Tommy, the album, and I wasn't sure. So I asked him a couple weeks ago and he said not only did he not have Tommy, but he was never a big Who fan, still isn't to this day. And he only got quadrophenia because he liked the song The Real Me, which just goes to show you how wrong fathers can be. Thing is, I knew Tommy from way back. I know, because I, I was spooked by the story as a kid. So I was like, what the fuck? And then I figured it out. It, it finally just came to me. It was like one of those aha moments while I was doing the research. My mother had the Tommy movie soundtrack that you're talking about, Lou. So that's what I heard so much way back when. And I remember looking through the gatefold and asking mom, what is this? These crazy pictures from the movie. And she kind of filled me in on it the best she could. And I'm five years old. This is 75. 
And then I found out that Terry, the aunt unit, who I've mentioned on the podcast quite a few times, she'd seen the movie, so I kept asking her questions about it. So, Tommy, the story has been with me for a long time. I even had a poster of Elton John as the pinball wizard. It was funny when you were describing him, you know, the big boots and the whole getup that he had. And and that skull cap with the little pinball <laughs> yeah, on the little, top. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I had a poster of Elton as the pinball wizard on my wall. Now we have, for me, we got a cut to the mid-90s this far. And I got the Who box set. I think it was called 30 Years of Maximum R&B. It was like a big overview of the whole band. It was actually a really good box set, a good starter pack. I fucking love that so much that I went right out and got Tommy and Who's Next on CD because those are the two albums that had the most songs that I knew on it. And of course, the Who's version is very different from the movie soundtrack, but it still just triggered my fascination with our boy Thomas. And that's where I finally come in with this. Now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record. And if you don't like Wikipedia, go do your own fucking research. Tommy is the fourth studio album by English rock band The Who. Released on May 17, 1969, on Track Records in the UK and Decca Records in the US. It was produced by Kit Lambert and was recorded from September 19, 1968 to March 7, 1969 at IBC Recording Studios, London, England. It reached number two on the UK Albums Chart and number four on the US Billboard Pop Albums Chart and is certified gold by the BPI, and two times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Roger Daltrey on vocals and harmonica, Pete Townsend on vocals, guitars, keyboards, and banjo, John Entwistle on bass, French horn, and vocals, and last but certainly not least, Keith Moon on drums and vocals. All right, let's dive into a track-by-track analysis of this album. Side one begins with Overture, written by Pete Townsend. This is a rock opera, and with any good opera, starts with an overture. And this goes through all the themes and the melodies of the record, all the riffs, as if he's introducing them as characters, the songs. It does well as an intro. Antwistle's French horn, or whatever he's blowing into, um, is well played, and also calling the different melodies from throughout the story. Not what you'd expect from a four-piece rock band in the 60s. This makes me want to listen more. It's a lot cleaner than you'd expect from The Who. I guess um, it was the recording technique back then not to allow any distortion or heaviness. It's What it allows you to do is you can really hear Pete's quick strumming abilities. His, his I mean, just everybody's uh, superior musicianship that the entire band has. Even Moon, he's indispensable as he beats maniacally. And um, he just sounds like he's having a fucking blast. Let's see what they can do. Captain Walker, don't come home from the war or sea or wherever. And he never got to meet his unborn son. It's a it's a classic wartime story. Let's see what's going. Let's see what's next. 
So as soon as I heard those first bombastic chords, bum, bum, I get that little tingle in my brain that says, oh shit, it's Tommy, he's here. And then this basically serves the purpose of an overture, like you said, in an opera. We get a basic run-through of the main musical themes of the album, strung together, and it flows really well. We have the basic Who sound of Pete Townsend on guitar, John Entwistle on bass, and Keith Moon on drums, with additional keyboards by Townsend and melodic lines done by Entwistle on a French horn. Then this fades to just Townsend playing a folky piece on acoustic guitar, which combines some fast note-picking along with Townsend's trademark fast strumming, and then we get to the first vocals, also by Townsend. And now I'll do my best to try to interpret the story as I see it. I think that's kind of what we're both going to be doing, Lou. We're both kind of, you know, how, how do we see this story? This doesn't always mean that I'm right or that you can't interpret things differently. Townsend, as a narrator, tells us that Captain Walker didn't make it home from fighting in World War I and that he's presumed dead and leaves behind his pregnant wife. This track sets the table. The rock opera has begun and it segues straight into the next track... And that next track is It's a Boy, written by Pete Townsend. say this slides right out of the overture the nurse tells mrs walker it's a boy after her husband bites it in a big one let's all rejoice for the blessed event (laughs) townsend continues playing his acoustic guitar while entwistle's french horn adds a gentle melodic line over the top and Townsend sings again as a nurse, informing Mrs. Walker that she's given birth to a boy. And then Entwistle and Roger Daltrey dramatically proclaim, A son, a son, a son. You know, it occurs to me that I've been listening to this album for years, and it never dawned on me that our main character's name is Tommy Walker. Tommy has a last name. I only realized that preparing for this podcast. I never even thought of that. <laughs> you know, I just realized that just now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is under a minute and is the first of many transitional tracks that aren't songs, but serve to fill in musical gaps or move the plot forward. Nothing more. The following track is 1921, written by Pete Townsend. No reason to be over-optimistic But somehow when you smile I can brave bad weather What about the boy? What about the boy? What about the boy? He saw it all. You didn't hear it. You didn't see it. You won't see nothing. No one ever in your life. You never heard it. Lou, your thoughts. The widow Walker suitor sings this one, telling her she's got a feeling 21's going to be a great year. He's in love with a lovely widow and her young toddler. Sounds like he's got himself an instant family. Shit, we got ourselves a family. (laughs) Too bad Captain Walker lived through getting shot down or shipwrecked behind enemy lines, surviving minefields, barbed wire fences, machine gun fire, sodomy, torture, disease. 
prostitutes, mother rapers, father rapers, hellfire and brimstone, traveling with a roll of quarters and a wristwatch up his ass back home, <laughs> finding this motherfucker on the downstroke with the mother of his child. He gets rightfully pissed. Damn, dude, that's a shit day, all day. He hauls off and murders the clueless fuck. <laughs> now, in the movie, this is reversed, which makes sense story-wise. It's a more perfect crime. Everybody thought Walker was dead already. Uncle Frank takes over and Mama's still happy. No one's the wiser. But in actual proctology here, it's the other way around. Captain Walker survives. So they turn to the doorway to find the little squirt wanted a drink of water right before all of this happened. He sees his dad give uncle Frankie two in the back of the head after catching him railing his mom. <laughs> so they get up all in the kid's face and tell him he didn't say anything. Not to say shit to nobody. Snitches get stitches. Apparently to extremely traumatic psychological distress. This is bad parenting. One on one on your own shit dudes. So with that, the story's set up and we can jam a little more. Musically, it starts off like the beginning of the overture. Then it becomes a slowly unfolding piece featuring Townsend guitar arpeggios and the rhythm section playing uncharacteristically. Both players are kind of holding back from what they normally do. Pete's singing lead again, and it appears that Tommy's mom got a new lover and things are going well. They're expecting 1921 to be a good year. Then, oh shit, Captain Walker's not dead. He's back and he ain't happy about this situation. You explained that very well, Lou. <laughs> then what happens next isn't specifically stated. But by now, we all know that Captain Walker kills the lover, or I guess if you're a movie lover, the lover kills Captain Walker. But in the album, like you said, it's Captain Walker, and Tommy witnesses it in the mirror. Then both parents come down hard on the poor kid. You didn't hear it. You didn't see it. You won't say nothing to no one ever in your life. While the music ratchets up the tension, adultery can be heard in the background as Tommy saying, I heard it. I saw it. It's actually, it's actually works really well. I didn't realize that he was looking at, he saw the thing in the mirror. Yeah. Well, that's what I read anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The track ends with the parents being cautiously optimistic, at least for a murderer and an accomplice. <laughs> Though I wonder how the <laughs> fuck they got rid of the body. But the question hangs in the air. What about the boy? The next track is Amazing Journey, written by Pete Townsend. Sickness will surely take the mind But minds can't usually go Come on the amazing journey And learn all you should know The babies of delirium creeps upon me All at once it's all stranger I suddenly see He's dressed in a silver spot glittering gown and his golden beard flows nearly down to the ground. Lou, let's have it. So, after being rendered deaf, dumb, and blind, and being told to cover up the actions in 1921, the song introduces the character of Tommy. It's a psychedelic trip into a toddler's severely traumatized mind and his journey inward to block the outside reality away. And this is the perfect excuse to jam a little more. I love this tune. I love all the trippy backwards shit, and Keith Moon is just a hero of this track. He reminds me of Animal from The Muppets. <laughs> just completely batshit, out of control, but he's chained and reined in just enough to keep him behind the kit with minimal damage to the surrounding area and studio. I love this track. 
I think Animal was based on Keith Moon, wasn't he? I'm pretty sure Probably. he was the source. <laughs> it makes sense. Well, like you said, so the trauma of what he's witnessed, combined with the trauma of his folks' conditioned brainwashing, have caused young Tommy to totally retreat inside himself. Outwardly to the world, he presents as blind, deaf, and dumb, and that means mute, not stupid. So all his experiences come through touch and the vibrations he feels all around him. But inside his mind, his thoughts and dreams are very vivid. He sees a golden-bearded stranger wearing a silver glittering gown who becomes Tommy's like avatar, guru, godly figure who takes Tommy on his inward adventures. We've also jumped ahead in time as Tommy is 10 years old at this point. Musically, Keith Moon is finally unleashed. You alluded to that, Lou, and does his around-the-kit roles that mark his style of playing, and Townsend brings in one of his major themes with a descending two-chord figure along with constant backwards whooshes and backwards guitar lines that add a mysterious vibe to the track. And Roger Daltrey finally takes a lead vocal, and he sings in his higher register with a childlike wonder that works especially well. It's a fucking brilliant track. I love it, too. The following track is Sparks, written by Pete Townsend. about this one Lou this is more of a movement than a song it's a great jam not sure how it ties this into the story other than it's one of his musical dreams that they were yammering on about in the last song um but it's one of my favorites it's I love the jams on this record the band is just so intense moon sounds like an absolute beast on this too that said this is Pete's showcase this piece is composed like a classic symphony for a power trio he doesn't wail. He kind of just rides on top of what Entwistle and Moon are giving him, this magic carpet that he needs to fly. That fucking riff. That, 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 everything about the song. It's just live. The, the, he, he's holding his S, that Gibson SG up like it's just a sacrifice to the gods. Squealing. It's feedback on the brink of fucking shorting out. It's just crackling. It's, it's riding the freight train of this band. This is my the, my favorite in, in the movie, The Kids Are All Right, is their Woodstock performance of this. Mm. Pete is tripping balls in his white jumpsuit, and he's just <laughs> completely mauling that fucking SG in, into like this tortured submission. It's a perfect tone. It's perfect everything. Even the crackles that's coming out of his electronics, that's like just shorted by sweat and blunt force trauma. It's just the perfect <laughs> fucking sound. Well, hello, John Entwistle. The Ox is featured prominently in this first instrumental that, story-wise, like you said, is supposed to represent the weird shit Tommy's experiencing. The Ox comes in hard. Boom, 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 boom. Man, that thing just blasts into your ears. Mooney's doing his thing, thumping all over the place, and Townsend throws in some more backward squeals, along with both acoustic and electric strumming. And then after a mini Entwistle solo, the track transitions to a new theme that will come up in a big way later in the record as the Underture. I dig this, man. You gotta fill those two records, you know what I mean? The next track is Eyesight to the Blind, The Hawker, written by Sonny Boy Williamson II. 
this one Lou <laughs> so now after they fucked this kid up so bad that they got to cart him around like a curly headed he- Helen Keller <laughs> they find a pimp who's got he says he's got a girl that's so good she can make the blind see the deaf hear the mute speak the dead come no wait <laughs> anyway so they decide that after Christmas they're gonna go see this lady and these two are running for parents of the year <laughs> if there was only someone who knew how the brain worked. Such sorcery. So there are many people who criticize this album for its thin sound, that it was produced poorly. I don't quite agree with that. I do know it was remastered many times, and if you listen through headphones in its current edition, it sounds pretty big to my ears, but I suppose I'm biased. This track is a cover of a Sonny Boy Williamson II tune, which is basically a 12-bar blues that The Who turns into a heavy rock number. And why is it here? Well, remember, there are those two records to fill, and I suspect it's because of the lyrics, which reference a woman who has magical healing powers that can make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dumb talk. (laughs) Where does it fit in the story? Well, it's funny, we're on the same track, because I I didn't really kind of know this. I thought this was like me making this up. I always saw it as a pimp trying to sell his girl to Tommy's parents as a healer, and the girl later turns out to be the acid queen. I didn't even realize that's what it's supposed to be. This track really isn't necessary, but I still dig it, because when Moon and Entwistle appear, they sound like fucking cannons over Townsend's pluck chords. Boom, ba-boom, boom. Love that shit. Plus, Daltrey's yelping vocals are on point, and John and Pete's backing harmonies are cool, too. So yeah, I'll keep it around. So let's move on over to side two and drop the needle on Christmas, written by Pete Townsend. Ho, 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 Lou. So all of a sudden, it's Christmas. And, well, Christmas is a real bummer when your kid can't see, hear, or speak. Mom's like, this sucks, man. What a waste of time Christmas is with this kid. What are we going to do? And dad's all like, Tommy doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know anything about Christmas. This sucks. And they're both like, how can he be saved? You did this, you assholes. Don't you remember what happened? (laughs) How can you think that didn't fuck this poor kid up, you fucking tweakers? What the fuck is wrong with you people? Tommy, can you hear me? No, he's ignoring you, you murderous dickhead. (laughs) Meanwhile, Tom is all like, see me, feel me, Tom in here, man. Nope, not a peep. We get into the meat of this hard rocker right away, including the vocals, with the tension elevated for most of the track, even when it resolves. 
Daltrey sings as Captain Walker, who's worried about his boy because Tommy's unaware that it's Christmas and can't enjoy the festivities. And on a darker level, because he doesn't know anything about Jesus or praying, Dad worries that Tommy's soul is doomed and won't be saved. No heaven for you, Tom. During these sections, there are these creepy ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-packing vocals that are unsettling. God, it doesn't sound like a Christmas carol to me. Then the music turns into isolated strummed chords as the lengthy middle section switches over to Townsend as the father yelling, Tommy, can you hear me? With growing frustration. And Daltrey as Tommy answers him, calls out to him, though it's only in his head, the simple theme that acts sort of like a hymn or a prayer and is very affecting. See me, feel me, touch me, heal me. Well, Dad can't hear you, Tom. He's still yelling for you and worrying about you. For me, this is the first of the album's creepy tracks. And just for fun, go ahead, play this at your next year's Christmas party. Your guests will think you've spiked their eggnog. The following track is Cousin Kevin, written by John Entwistle. this one though and these people are total pieces of shit <laughs> what a family <laughs> not neglecting the poor kid and he gets left alone a sick fuck of a cousin who's pissed off at him that tommy because he's a complete beanbag <laughs> so he abuses the fuck out of this poor kid trying to burn maim cripple the poor guy i mean this is just getting worse and worse <laughs> So Townsend gave the darkest songs to Entwistle to write, which kind of makes sense since John always wrote kind of weird songs for The Who anyway. Moon pounds out a heavy drum beat while the guitar does a simple two-note chopstick-style motif, and Entwistle takes the role of Cousin Kevin, who's been left to babysit Tommy while his parents are out or some shit. Well, it turns out Kevin is one sadistic fucker, and he subjects Tommy to all kinds of tortures like burning him with cigarettes, pushing him down the stairs, dunking his head underwater, you know, fun, youthful activities. The vocal melodies are stretched out and sung much like nursery rhymes, adding to the mounting creepiness, and Moon's cymbal washes and drum rolls keep the tension high again. Truthfully, for me, this isn't the strongest tune on the record, but as a plot device, it serves its disturbing purpose. The next track is The Acid Queen, written by Pete Townsend. Give us a room, close the door, leave us for a while. You a boy no more young but not a child I'm the gypsy the acid queen pay before we start the gypsy I'm guaranteed to tear your soul apart Lou, let's have it so after getting his ass kicked by Cousin Kevin, they wind up at this hooker's place. That pimp that was talking about earlier. They drop the guy off, and she fucks his brains out and shoots him up with drugs to see if that'll cure him. <laughs> Just make sure she pays, you pay her before she starts. Now let me tell you, there's a few problems that I have in this world that hookers and blow would solve. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this only fucks things up worse for Tommy. 
because now he's got the shakes. He's got a banger of a headache. It's a classic case of carpal tunnel syndrome. He's nervous and his socks are too loose. (laughs) This all makes him dive deeper into oblivion, which in turn make the who jam harder. This would have made more sense after eyesight to the blind in the running order. But who called it before? Me. They were going to drug him up. This ain't my first rodeo. (laughs) The verses feature guitar arpeggios, and the choruses are all blaring chords with moon bashing away and keyboard lines underneath providing support. The breakdown section takes things down and then musically builds back up with rim shots becoming drum fills and floating guitar notes developing into hard rock chords. Townsend sings this as the Acid Queen, our gypsy hooker advertised from a few tracks back, whom Tommy's parents have turned to in hopes of finding a cure for Tommy's condition. As has been well said on this podcast, we love hookers on R4, but they're given a room and left alone, and then it's sex and drugs, baby. Tommy's not a boy anymore, and the drugs do affect him. His head shakes, his fingers clutch, and his body writhes, though it doesn't help to bring him out of his catatonic state. I dig when Townsend goes, I'm in the, the gypsy, the acid queen. And there's some menace in his voice when he sings, I'm guaranteed to tear your soul apart. We're deep in the darkness now. Tommy's going through some shit. The following track is Underture, written by Pete Townsend. say Lou it seems like every time they try to help it causes him to crawl into his own head and hide and I hope they keep doing it because these jams are fucking rock this is the musical interpretation of what's going on in in Tommy's head right now so uh, let me get my bong Um, let me say right now ladies and gentlemen Keith fucking moon he's like an entire orchestra amongst himself with a banging bass player behind him that's really keeping the time for him. He's the entire drum line. He's from the timpanis to bollies, the bass drums, the cymbals, the shakers, and the snare. He's all that guy all at once. It's amazing. This is basically Keith's drum solo for the record. And, and, and you know, it's, it, it's Keith and John the whole way. Well, we had an overture, didn't we? So there's got to be an underture too, right? Very clever, Pete. We got a sneak preview of this instrumental theme at the end of Sparks. And if you want to be technical, it first appeared on the track Rael from the Who's previous album, The Who Sell Out. And here it's developed over and over and over with minor variations for 10 fucking minutes. Supposedly this represents Tommy's acid trip, and yeah, it's trippy. It's full of dynamics, and the instruments dance with and around each other. And I really do like the actual theme itself. And Keith Moon, as always, brings it. He's the main highlight for me on this. But a couple of run-throughs of it would suffice. I mean, you could easily cut the runtime in half, and I wouldn't bitch about it. In my mind, I can picture Kit Lambert saying to Townsend, No, we still have to fill three more minutes. Let's do another pass, lads. 
It ends with crashing gong hits, and by that point, my eyes have glazed over, and I feel like I've gone on a trip myself, and maybe that's the point. It's time to head on over to side three and check out Do You Think It's All Right? Written by Pete Townsend. Do you think it's all right to leave the boy with Uncle Ernie? Do you think it's all right? He's had a few too many yes, I think it's all tonight. Right. It's all right. Do you think it's all right? I think it's all right. Do you think it's all right, Lou? So now mom and dad are getting a little sick of staying around the house night after night with this big drag of a blind, deaf mute. So they want to step out a bit. So they're mulling over, letting their weird Uncle Ernie watch the little beanbag while they step out on the town for a night. Something about him she don't really like. Think he's all right? He thinks she's all right. He's all right? You think it's all right? They think it's all right. Yes, I think it's all right. I think it's all right. The next track is Fiddle About, written by John Entwistle. I'm your wicked Uncle Ernie, I'm glad you won't see or hear me as I fiddle about, fiddle about, fiddle about. Your mother left me here to mind you, now I'm doing what I want to. Fiddling about, fiddling about, fiddle about. Down with the bed, close up with your nightshirt. How about this one, Lou? You know, I get the creeps just thinking about what happens in this tune, and the movie only makes it worse. It's Entwistle that sings it on the album, but um, on the soundtrack, it's Keith Moon. And uh, it's really the perfect crime. A rabid child molester and a deaf-blind mute kid. How did they not see this coming? This creeped me out as a little kid with the soundtrack, and it creeps me out as an adult reviewing it to all 12 of you. Oh, yeah, I know. He was asking for it with his long curly hair and that see me, touch me nonsense. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. If this triggers anything in anyone, I apologize. If you were fiddled as a youngster, I hope it was with someone way less creepy than Uncle Ernie. Let's move on, okay? (laughs) Well, I still have to go, so hang on. So Entwistle gets his second and final track on the album, and goddamn, even the music sounds dark and ominous, with a touch of campiness thrown in. It's based on that descending figure repeated twice, duh, 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 and gives me the heebie-jeebies, and Moon just thumps out the beat. He doesn't even do his Moon the Loon thing until the very end when it breaks down and he goes off a little bit. Tommy gets a new babysitter, his wicked Uncle Ernie, sung by Entwistle, who proceeds to sexually abuse his nephew, and it's spelled right out for you. Down with the bedclothes, up with your nightshirt as he fiddles about. Apparently Townsend gave the darkest subject matter to Entwistle because he was too sensitive to write about child abuse. Good thing John had no problem and stepped right up. (laughs) Like Cousin Kevin, this one doesn't do much for me musically, but it serves the story horrifyingly well, and I just want to take a shower after I hear it. It has always freaked me out since a kid, too. (laughs) The following track is Pinball Wizard, written by Pete Townsend. He's a pinball wizard that has to be a twist. A pinball wizard's got such a suffering. How do you think he does? I don't know. I think 
passion, plays by sense of smell, always gets a replay, never seen him fall. You like this one, Lou? So somehow, after being shot up with drugs, then sexually abused, somehow, this kid gets put in front of a pinball machine, and somebody sticks a quarter in, and miraculously, he's fucking great at it. <laughs> like, amazingly good. Sofa king good. Like, why are you even trying, man? Good. Uh, he's the Ingve Malmsteen of the silver ball table. <laughs> and in this world... Pinball is a really big deal, and there's competitions, and a pinball champion that Tommy beats and gets his pinball wizard title. A deaf, dumb, and blind pinball wizard sure plays a mean pinball. My mother would sing this, shout plays a mean pinball like the who, and I would always wonder, why are you singing like that? It's wrong. I love this song, but Elton's version's better. So by accident, it's discovered that Tommy inexplicably has a talent for playing pinball. Apparently, he can feel the vibrations of the ball and through intuition or his sense of smell, he can play the game remarkably well. He's so good, he rises through the ranks and has a highly publicized contest against the champ, the pinball wizard, who, to his amazement, is defeated by Tommy and gives up his crown, making Tommy famous, a celebrity. Makes logical sense, doesn't it? Fuck no, it doesn't. But come on, this is where your willing suspension of disbelief comes in handy, you know what I mean? (laughs) And who cares, since this track is fucking awesome, with Townsend's flamenco-esque acoustic strumming, Entwistle's bass dancing around underneath, Moon's accents on the two and four, Daltrey playing the role of the local lad, a.k.a. the champ. This is a kick-ass rock tune. At this point, it's well known that Townsend quickly wrote this to appease critic Nick Cohn, who was an avid pinball fanatic and gave the album a good review with the inclusion of his favorite game. (laughs) But as it turned out, this is one of the most memorable tracks on the album and a Who classic that stands on its own and was the first single from the album that reached number four on the UK singles chart and number 19 on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart. And as an aside, I deliberately haven't talked much about the Tommy movie, But I agree with you, Lou. Elton John's version of the song is the only track from that soundtrack that I like better than The Who. The next track is There's a Doctor, written by Pete Townsend. There's a man I found could bring us all joy. There's a doctor I found could cure the boy. A doctor I found can cure the boy. How about this one, Lou? So they find the doctor who says he can cure Tommy. You would think that these people would have thought to go to the doctor first before bringing him to a pimp <laughs> and a hooker who gives him drugs. But, you know, you'd figure he'd have woke the fuck up already, too, especially after all the additional physical and sexual abuse by random family members. I don't understand these people at all. Yet another quick interlude track featuring some jaunty piano and subtle percussion, not much else. Hey, good news! Dear old dad found a doctor who might be able to cure Tommy. And how does he know that? Who cares? Just roll with it. The following track is Go to the Mirror, written by Pete Townsend. His eyes can see, his ears can hear, his lips speak. All the time the needles flick and rock. Go to the mirror, boy. 
Lou, hit me. So this doctor's confounded because Tommy's medically fine. His eyes work, his ears hear. He just doesn't react to anything except for his own reflection and pinball. He seems to be obsessed with a mirror and he stares in it all the time. And if this were today, I, they'd have diagnosed him as severely autistic and gave him early intervention. And this record would have been a very, very different record. The main body of this track comes from a tight little Townsend guitar riff that Entwistle apes and Moon adds plenty of rolling Tom fills, broken up by piano-driven see-me-feel-me Tommy prayers and a new section where Tommy makes an important connection that will appear later on in the album. The vocals are traded off between Daltrey and Townsend as the doctor has performed his tests on Tommy and has determined that his afflictions aren't physical but psychosomatic. His senses function, but he has deliberately cut himself off from them. But Tommy's trying to reach them. He repeats, see me, feel me, touch me, heal me. He wants to come back to reality, but he doesn't know how at this point. The doctor advises, go to the mirror, boy, thinking that seeing his reflection might snap Tommy out of his isolation. And as the captain watches his son stare into the mirror, he wonders what's happening in Tommy's head. And Tommy tells us, the listeners, what he's dreaming. He's made a connection to something, uh, higher power, higher consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it. And he's enraptured by it. Listening to you, I get the music. Gazing at you, I get the heat. Following you, I climb the mountain. I get excitement at your feet. Right behind you, I see the millions. On you, I see the glory. From you, I get opinions. From you, I get the story. Fuck, I don't get the story. But I'm in far too deep now. To turn back. <laughs> I gotta see how this plays out. The next track is Tommy Can You Hear Me, written by Pete Townsend. Tommy, can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? Tommy, can you see me? Can I help to cheer you? Ooh, Tommy. Lou, what do you say? Hello. <laughs> Tommy's mother calling him over and over. Tommy, 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 Tommy. <laughs> Trying to get him to come out of his shell. Tommy, Tommy. If I heard my fucking name this many times, I'd shut everyone out too. <laughs> Fuck off, ma. <laughs> you as fuck. But you answer in the first three times, I ain't gonna. <laughs> Another interlude. Story-wise, it's just mom pleading with her boy to wake up. We've covered this ground many times already, and this track is completely unnecessary. Except that it sounds so freaking cool. It's Townsend strumming a folky acoustic guitar figure with Entwistle's bass bouncing along with it. And the whole band singing, Tommy, can you hear me? It's catchy and infectious. And I love it. Right, Tommy? 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 <laughs> Hello. The following track is Smash the Mirror, written by Pete Townsend. You don't answer my call with even a nod or a wink, but you gaze at your own reflection. All right, you don't seem to see me, but I think you can see yourself. How can the mirror affect you? 
Lou, what happens next? So Mrs. Walker is just fed the fuck up. All this kid does is stand in front of a mirror and she's sick of it. Bitches and complains, even though she put him in this nightmare that he lives in. Everything she tries, everything they do don't work. There's not even a flinch from him. If anybody's seen this movie, this is the end. Margaret's uh, swimming in the champagne, baked beans, and chocolate scene. I'm really not sure what was going through their head for that one, but I, I appreciate the scene. <laughs> so mom does what any red-blooded parent would do in this situation. She throws the kid through a full-length mirror. To be continued. Moon's drum fill ushers in a moody tune that stays low and kind of menacing. The bass is pushed way up front and Entwistle stays in the lower note range, which is not typical of his style of playing. Daltrey takes the role of Mrs. Walker and Mama's pissed. She's frustrated with Tommy, can't understand why he won't respond to her. And what the fuck is it with this mirror business? How can the mirror even affect him? It makes no sense. And the music ascends as her rage continues to rise, 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 rise. We hear a Townsend pick scrape as Mama's like, all right, you little fuck, I've had enough. And she smashes the mirror. We get a crashing glass sound effect. And then in like an echoed blurry, like, ah, noise that blends guitar feedback, keyboards and cymbal watches. Whoa, shit. Seems like something big's happened. The next track is Sensation. Written by Pete Townsend. You feel me coming, a new vibration from afar. You'll see me. I'm a sensation. I'm a sensation. They worship me, and all I touch is the eye. They catch my glance. All right, Lou, come on. Well, who'd have knew? It fucking worked. (laughs) That is severe lacerations and nerve damage. My man wakes up and decides to use his newfound consciousness and apparent following of pinball fans to start a cult to teach people how to be enlightened. Wouldn't you? After all of that? (laughs) Sounds fun. Let's do it! Woohoo! Gently uplifting arpeggiated guitars, piano, and bass playing ascending lines are followed by dramatic sections with bumping drums and triumphant French horn flourishes. The whole vibe of the record has shifted. Holy shit, Tommy woke up! All it took was a little more trauma to counteract the old traumas. And Townsend sings as the mature Tommy as he begins to explore the newfound world he's thrust into and notices his presence has an effect on people. They respond positively to him, practically mesmerized by him. And in the catchy chorus, he declares himself a sensation, both from being popular and famous as the pinball wizard, but also as the nearly spiritual feeling he inspires in people. Hmm, that could give someone some ideas. So let's proceed to side four of the album and start with Miracle Cure, written by Pete Townsend. Extra, read all about it, the pinball wizard and the miracle cure. Extra, extra, read all about it, extra. Lou, you love this one? Extra, extra, read all about it. They actually used to have newsboys that 
hawk the headlines on the street corners to sell newspapers for all you youngins who always had the Google in your pockets. Hey, used to suck back then. <laughs> hey, man, it's hot news to know that the pinball wizard's cured. It's a miracle. Deaf, dumb, and blind boy can hear and speak. News spreads across the land and gets more and more people to follow him. It's like free advertising for him. I'd take it. Yeah, the world learns the pinball wizard's been cured in a 13-second interlude. Extra! The following track is Sally Simpson, written by Pete Townsend. The atmosphere was cooler and Tommy gave a lesson. Sally just had to let him know she loved him and left up on the rostrum. She ran across stage to the spotlit figure and brushed him on the face. Tommy whirled round as a uniform man threw her off the stage. She knew from the start deep down in her heart that she and Tommy were worlds apart. But her mother said, never mind, your part is to be what you'll be. What about this one, Lou? Well, this is the story within a story of Sally Simpson. She reads about Tommy in the newspaper that they just talked about, and he throws everything that her parents taught her about religion out the window. He goes and follows a new messiah. She's a Tommy groupie. Tommy's got all the answers. Poor blind sheep follow people who don't give a shit about them. Now Tommy's one of them. She throws her life away for him. This has a 60s folk rock singer-songwriter-y vibe to the music. It's heavily piano-driven in a semi-honky-tonk style, and Townsend plays some interestingly busy piano fills and glissandos. Ant Whistle's bass line's very simple, and Moon is the model of restraint for him, playing a simple tom and snare beat, letting the vocals and piano take the spotlight. Daltrey's in third person as he tells the story of Sally Simpson, a young girl caught up in Tommy's story and wanting to go see him, as he now is traveling around hosting town meetings and delivering sermons of his enlightenment like an old-timey preacher. Her father forbids her to go. He's busy cleaning his blue Rolls Royce, but she sneaks off and goes anyway, making it to the front row, and eventually she rushes on stage to try to touch Tommy, brushing his cheek as a cop throws her off the stage. She lands on a chair and gashes her face, requiring 16 stitches, and she goes home. We learn that she later marries a rock musician she meets in California, carrying a scar on her cheek to remind her of her Tommy adventure. Does this advance the story? No, but I dig it. It shows that as Tommy's popularity continues to grow, he becomes more detached from his followers they don't have anything in common with them, and Sally comes to understand this as she learns that, like her mother says, her part is to be what she'll be. The next track is I'm Free, written by Pete Townsend. Fly, be free, Lou. You would think that this song would have come earlier, mm. like before Amma's sensation. Yeah, yeah, right after he goes through the mirror. 
but whatever, I'll take it. This is uh, Tommy telling us that enlightenment's in plain sight. Most people don't have the courage to follow it. It's a big rock riff and a big rock chorus, and it's got radio hit all over it. This is one of the songs that probably sold this record, uh, along with Pinball Wizard and We're Not Gonna Take It. I'll take it. It's a great song. This starts off, like you said, with a solid hard rock riff, which Townsend said was inspired by the Rolling Stones' Street Fighting Man, which is once again aped and backed up with piano and bass, and Moon is uncorked once again to throw around his manic fills. We also get a cool bluesy-picked acoustic guitar solo that leads into the final chorus as it modulates into a higher key to take us out. Daltrey as Tommy starts in high, quiet, wonderment voice, but gains in volume and intensity as he exclaims he's free. He's exulting in his new awareness. Freedom to him tastes like reality. And now he wants to really spread the word. Get his message across as far and wide as possible. He's waiting and he wants you to follow him. In the outro, the pinball wizard riff returns and then Pete and John sing as the chorus of people asking Tommy, how can they follow him? This was the album's second single, which reached number 37 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The following track is Welcome, written by Pete Townsend. Come to my house, be one of the comfortable people. Lovely bright home, we're drinking all night, never sleeping. Milkman come in and you bake her little old lady welcome and juice you make her come to this house into this house How about this Lou? Come to Tommy's house. Anyone can come to Tommy's house. Listen to him. Listen to Tommy. Listen to how Tommy can help you find real life. Bring everyone. Welcome to the cult. Be one of us. Be one of us. Everyone's welcome. There's more at the door. One of us. One of us. One of us. The cult is growing. The Sixers were fucking weird, man. It starts as a gentle waltz with acoustic guitars once again carrying the load and the piano mixed low while Entwistle must have been bored out of his skull with a simple bass line that he has to play and Moon is doing his thing but the drums are also mixed low so they don't occupy a large sonic space. There's no bombast to the song whatsoever. Daltrey as Tommy basically opens his house to all his followers and invites them to stay with him as a commune while a higher voice, and I think it's Entwistle, does this annoying ooh, wordless vocal line over the top. The middle section switches gears into a Latin rhythm, and the piano takes prominence, and shit, the people are coming to Tommy's house. Too many. There's more at the door. So Tommy wants to build a larger palace to house everyone, and that will get expanded even further. The outro drags on with piano tinkling and acoustic strumming and... You know, there's only one track on the entire record I dislike, and it's this one. It's dull and boring and story-wise not needed. It just takes up space. Gotta fill that second disc, right, Pete? And even the band knew this one blows, as they dropped it when they performed Tommy on tour in 69 and 70. Oh, yeah. 
You bet your ass it's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. I agree. The penultimate track is Tommy's Holiday Camp, written by Keith Moon. So now Uncle Ernie is Tommy's business partner. <clears throat> He's welcoming campers to Tommy's camp where people can come and listen to Tommy preach. Someone thought this was a good idea. Doesn't anyone see any of the red flags in this? He's put in charge of a bunch of people with their senses shut off. What could go wrong? I mean, he's a walking fucking lawsuit, right? Am I right? <laughs> And if Tommy's so enlightened, why isn't he just raging at this fucking guy or his parents? And why has he not kicked the ever-living shit out of cousin fucking Kevin? I mean, fuck that guy, right? (laughs) Fuck it. We're past building just a palace. We're expanding into a British holiday camp. Tommy's going all out and going commercial. And we're welcome to the camp by Townsend in a goofy voice as Dear Old Uncle Ernie, accompanied by carnival organ music. The track is credited to Keith Moon, and to be honest, it does kind of have his whacked-out sensibilities, so I think he did have a hand in it. Supposedly it was his idea that Townsend fleshed out. It's the last interlude, and hey, bonus! Looks like there'll be plenty of kids coming for Uncle Ernie to fiddle about with. Ha-ha! And that brings us to the final track. We're Not Gonna Take It, written by Pete Townsend. We're not gonna take it, never did and never will. We're not gonna take it, gonna break it, gonna shake it, let's forget it better still. Now you can hear me how about this last one, though? <laughs> so in order for people at, to achieve Tommy's level of enlightenment, he's got everybody in earplugs, eye shades, and corks. I'm seriously thinking that they had butt plugs, too. <laughs> Sick fucks. What exactly would they, were they thinking would happen? So while he's got everyone in a dollar store version of an isolation tank, he starts preaching that in order to wake up, they're going to have to stop smoking weed, stop doing drugs, and stop drinking. Well, fuck that. And fuck you, Tommy. They don't like that. And they tell, they tell Tommy to fuck right off. They're <laughs> not going to take it. As long as his teachings were vague, they were cool, but, and with it, you know, but as soon as he started telling them what to do, they fucking turned on him. I mean, people suck. (laughs) He should have seen it coming though. This guy's been fucked over by every adult he's ever been exposed to. This is why we can't have nice things. So this final track is basically three songs in one. 
two of which we've already heard before, and plot-wise, it gets extremely convoluted. Nobody really knows how it all ends. Not even Townsend, who wrote the fucker. And there's so many interpretations for it, so bear in mind that when I give you mine, this is just how I interpret the ending. The first section is pretty clear-cut. We get the final theme from the overture. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Straightforward rock. And Daltrey is playing Tommy in the verses, welcoming the flock to the camp. And he lays down the rules. No drinking, no drugs, eye shades, earplugs, and corks to strip the senses. And you've got to play pinball. He wants you to experience what he did so you can find the light. And the followers in the catchy chorus are like, huh? This ain't what we signed up for. They're getting angry. And in the second chorus... They protest the strict rules Tommy has imposed on them and the commercialization of the new religion. And so they rise up and violently revolt against Tommy, (laughs) rejecting him, threatening rape, and ultimately destroying the camp and leaving him battered and alone. So the music then transitions to the familiar See Me, Feel Me theme, and Daltrey sums up the emotion as Tommy, shocked and disillusioned, once more retreats into himself and calls out with four more Tommy hymns. Desperate to find meaning. And in the third section, he's answered again. He once more makes his connection to the higher power, the source, the universe, God, the golden bearded man with the sparkly gown, whatever the fuck it is. (laughs) And he feels uplifted, fulfilled. He hears the music from his dreams again. His dreams and reality are joined together as Tommy becomes a being of true enlightenment. Fuck the sycophants and leeches who claim to be his disciples. The spiritual path was always within Tommy himself, and he gives himself to it once more. Yeah, I thought about this shit a lot. And I'm probably wrong, and it's hokey as all fuck. But man, when this track comes on, I'm singing along with it. From the angry, we're not gonna take it, to the sublime, listening to you section. And as it fades out, I'm feeling exuberant. I've connected to the music. And even if I don't fully understand what's happened, I'm a part of that chorus in the moment. And I soar with it. I feel moved. So ultimately it works. Well done, Mr. Townsend. Now that the track by track is completed, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0 which got fucked up by Cousin Kevin and fucked by Uncle Ernie. Lou, give us your final thoughts on Tommy. This is a record that needs to be listened to in its entirety. Sure, it's got hits, and they're cool here on their own, but this work of art needs the respect of a cover-to-cover listen at least once a year. Highlights for me are Overture, Amazing Journey, Sparks, Underture, The Hawker, and Acid Queen and Pinball Wizard. They say Tommy was hard to follow and the story was convoluted. Well, Phantom of the Opera didn't make any sense to me either. (laughs) And this album's music was hell of a lot cooler. I give the studio record a four with the live version on the deluxe live at Leeds CD reissue, uh, which includes Tommy performed in its entirety. I give that a five. It's something I return to often and it's in my chest of desert island discs. Tommy didn't just appear out of nowhere. Since 1966, Pete Townsend was looking to expand past the three-minute single and develop a larger musical piece, which manager Kit Lambert encouraged and came up with the term rock opera. The first attempt, a suite called Quads, was abandoned, though the single I Am A Boy came out of it. And when The Who's second album, A Quick One, 
ran short on material, Lambert suggested Townsend write a mini opera to finish it, and Townsend turned in a quick one while he's away, a pastiche of musical pieces that formed a singular narrative. During 1967, Townsend learned to play the piano and developed another mini-opera, Rael, to close out the third album, The Who Sell Out. By 1968, The Who were swimming in debt due to their penchant for smashing their instruments on stage, and Townsend had discovered the teachings of Indian spiritual guru Meher Baba, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and became a devotee. With the support of Lambert, Townsend wanted to develop a full album that featured songs that stood on their own, but together formed a true rock opera that incorporated his spiritual leanings as influenced by Meher Baba with the working title of Deaf, Dumb, and Blind Boy. The other members of The Who liked the idea and gave full artistic control to Townsend, commencing recording in September 68 on an eight-track machine that allowed for more overdubbing with Townsend writing the bulk of the material and the entire band working out the arrangements. Many of the songs had already been written for previous projects, and as the sessions dragged on, The Who took a break from recording to tour and appear on the Rolling Stones' Rock and Roll Circus special, where by all accounts they were the highlight of the show and caused the Stones to shelve the special for years. Recording resumed in 1969, but The Who had to play weekend gigs to avoid accruing more debt, while the record company was getting impatient for the new album and the band members themselves were getting tired of the recording process, finally finishing in March 69. The album cover was designed by Mike McInery and was a triptych fold-out cover with the front presented as a blue and white web of clouds with images of the band members added later due to record company pressure and the interior artwork featured abstract images inspired by the album's plotline. When Tommy was released in May 69, it received mixed reviews from critics, but it served as the Who's breakthrough, later reappraised as an important work in the history of rock and roll. There's a lot you can criticize about Tommy. The plot is murky at best. Much of what we know now as the full story comes from the 1975 Tommy film and the 1992 Tommy musical where it needed to be fleshed out. I could just imagine someone buying this in 69 and thinking, what the fuck is going on? Luckily, the words come in service to some great rock tunes. Most of the major themes can be extracted from the album to stand on their own and work well as individual songs. The sound famously isn't particularly thick or full, and there aren't many overdubs or special effects on the tracks, and that's because the Who intended to take Tommy on the road, which they did for the rest of 69 through the first half of 1970, playing the full album minus the tracks Cousin Kevin, Underture, Sensation, and Welcome that the band kind of deemed dead wood. These concerts were received overwhelmingly positively and turned the Who into global superstars and finally got the band out of debt and into the black. Some of those shows are available to listen to, and they are magnificent, just like Lou said. They feature a hungry Who roaring in its prime, and you can hear Roger Daltrey finally finding his full voice and becoming one of the great rock vocalists and frontmen, equaling the status of his bandmates. Tommy is an important album that is massively influential. Albums like Pink Floyd's The Wall and Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime owe a debt of gratitude to this record. Sure, it's pretentious, but what double album concept record isn't? It's also an important album for me personally. 
This is going to sound dopey, but I've always identified with the kid, withdrawing into himself after suffering some trauma. That was me too. Now, I wasn't blind, deaf, or dumb, but my personality changed, and I became sullen, withdrawn, and super anxious in social situations that still remains with me to this day. I debated on what to rate this. I wanted to give it a five, but I, I just can't. It does suffer from some bloat. If it was tightened up and a few non-essential tracks were dropped, it would have been better served. And though I love this album, it's not even my favorite Who record. Now that said, I consider Tommy to be a flawed masterpiece. Pete Townsend swings for the fences and hits a home run. This album, or should I say this story, has befuddled, amused, disturbed, and enthralled me for well over 40 years. May it continue to do so for the rest of my days. I give Tommy a four and a half, and I guess all that's left to say is, Tommy, can you hear me? Because I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Lou. See ya. Good morning, campers. Hello. You figured, you figured he'd have woke the fuck up already, too. I'm sorry. You figured he'd woke the fuck up already, too. Especially after all that additional physical and sexual abuse by Ramley. <laughs> Ramley. Ramley. You figured he'd have woke up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get through this fucking line. You figured he'd have woke up. <laughs> you'd have figured. <laughs> You're real, dude. <laughs> back off. Back off. Take a deep breath. <laughs> um, you figured he'd. <laughs> it's in your head now. You know. You would have figured that he'd have woke up. You'd figure he'd have woke up. <laughs> I know where the chipmunk. Giving you ten minutes of chipmunks. <laughs> I know where the chipmunks going. <laughs> You figured he'd woke the fuck up already, too, especially after all the additional physical and sexual Sexual. Especially after all the additional physical and sexual abuse by random family members. I don't understand these people at all. Oh, my God! 